You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Friday, I think it's a little different than it was Friday, that's for sure. So uh, this is a good day. I'm so happy for what God's doing with our next gen and what he's going to do in the summer. Colin and I sat down a couple days ago, went over the summer calendar for uh, our middle school and high schoolers, college age, just really prayed over it. Some good stuff going on, and uh, uh, God is good. And so this is what I want you to do with me this morning. I want you to do two things with me. Would you pull out, first of all, your Bible? If you don't have a Bible, we have blue Bibles around the sanctuary. If you don't have a Bible, I mean, if you don't have a Bible, take one of those Bibles with you. We want to give it to you. It's a gift. We want you to have the Word of God in your hands, so take it. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to pull out your bulletin. Pull out your bulletin. Go to the back page. And you're going to see blanks there in hopes that, this is my hope at least, by the end of the service, those blanks won't be blanks anymore. You'll have them filled in. And so that's really what we're going to be about. And uh, this is going to be a a time, and really, and I'm going to be honest, this morning, uh, I'm a little sad. And so can you say, ah, like that, ah, thank you, makes me feel better. Um, I'm sad because today is the conclusion of our study in the book of Acts. Yeah, I am. Uh, our series, When God Moves, because over the last nine months, uh, this book has really rocked my world. I mean, it has rocked my world. The book of Acts has just taken me to places that really I've never been before. Um, You know, just growing up and, and knowing a little bit about the book of Acts, studying the book of Acts, but wanting God to do a fresh work in my life. I mean, really, that's what I was asking for personally, that I wouldn't walk through this just like, you know, just studying a book. But I wanted that book to, to be something that impacted me, that changed my life, and, uh, and it really did. And I don't know if you remember this, but one of, uh, one of our goals in studying the book of Acts, if you, if you remember this, and I'm going to bring you back a little bit, it was to take this book and make it your story, to make it your narrative. It was, about, it was about taking personally what was going on in the book of Acts and saying to, to God, saying to yourself, this is something that has been meant for me to practice. This has been how I need to li- live life. That it would be more than just a, a study of early church history. It would be more than just knowing the theology. But, but it was about this book being my book. And that what happens in this book can happen in my life today. That everything in Acts is meant for you to personally experience. A deeper commitment to Jesus Christ and the mission that he's called us to. The fullness of his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That we get to see the miracles. That we get to see the healings. That we get to be part of what was going on in the book of Acts. That it's just not ancient history, but it's present, current day history for me. It's something that I've experienced and I want to continue to experience. And then the fellowship of, of, uh, of other Christians and believers. We see that so predominantly, especially in those first five, six, seven chapters and how those new Christians got together and they formulated this community uh, under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit and the apostles and great things happened because they were committed to Jesus and they were committed to each other. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in here because we have a lot to cover. Look at Acts chapter 20, would you? Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 20. 
And we're going to read verses 21 through 24. Now, there's some things going on here that we need to keep up with, and I'll tell you what they are in just a moment. Let me read this. It says, I've declared, this is Paul speaking, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Don't, don't forget that. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. You see, this is actually the story of of Paul coming back. And up to this point, Dr. Luke, who's written the book of Acts, gives us a macro picture of Paul's journeys. And this is the end of the third missionary journey. Now we go to, and that's where we're going this morning, to Acts chapter 21. He goes from the macro picture to a micro picture, which takes about three chapters to explain. And so he's moving us from this 30,000 foot view Uh, Dr. Luke is, to a a micro picture of what's going on in the Apostle Paul's life and in the church. He tells this three-chapter long story that sets up the final dramatic end of Paul's ministry as we see it in the book of Acts. And to get your your heart and mind into this passage, I just want to begin by asking a question. And, And here's the question. Here's the question. What was the most challenging road trip that you ever went on? I mean, I mean, some of you are probably thinking back, oh, man, um, man, I think it was a vacation my dad drug us on. I mean, we just, we were looking at stuff we, I, I didn't care about, I wasn't interested in, you know, and, and it was a long journey, and I'm sitting in the backseat of the car with my sweaty siblings and, and their annoying habits and all that kind of thing. The only thing you forget is you were sweaty and annoying, too. That's the only thing we ever forget, you know, but, but th- those are the kind of vacations, or the vacation where you had a reunion with the family members you didn't even know, like you didn't know three quarters of them, and you're meeting these cousins that you have no idea who they are, you'll never probably see them again in life, and, but you're supposed to hug them and kiss them and tell them you love them, and that's, that's awkward. I mean, those moments can be incredibly, incredibly awkward. For me, uh, the most challenging, the most memorable road trip that I ever took was with a high school buddy up 101 from Southern California up into Northern California. He had this uh, 59 uh, Roaster Porsche. It was a beautiful car. He'd remodeled it. And uh, we were going to take this, this road trip. And, and I, the, the thing that was difficult for me is I w- just had uh, ankle or knee surgery. Oh, probably uh, imagine that. Huh? I just had knee surgery about five or six weeks before. And I had a long cast on, a full-length cast. And when I had crutches, and can you, I mean, just fitting in a Porsche in the passenger seat without a cast is hard to do. And so I'm in this uh, Porsche with this cast, and we're driving up and down the uh, West Coast, and we come in to San Jose, San Jose, California. We're driving south now. We're going home, and this guy is playing like Elton John and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, some of those things you might not. But anyways, he's playing this, and he's talking to me like this. And he's just, he, he, we're driving out 101, and the other guy's talking to me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you need to be watching the road right now because it's not good that you, you keep looking over here. And all of a sudden, we hit this dead stop stop traffic in San Jose at rush hour, and he slams right in the back of the car in front of us. I mean, he hits it. I mean, we're okay, but man, you want to talk about, there's no engine in the front of a Porsche, so the whole thing folds, you know? And the guy in front of us, he gets hit, 
And you know what he does? He opens the car door and he falls out. He just falls on the ground. And I'm thinking, the guy is dead, man. He's not, you just killed somebody. I'm looking at him. I'm 18 years old. I'm frightened. And I'm looking at this guy going, he's dead. He's dead. He was, you know what happened? He wasn't dead. He was stone drunk, man. That door opened. The guy just fell out. So my buddy, he starts trying to blame the accident on the guy that's drunk. He's trying to tell the cops that it was his fault. And he's, the cops are going, you know what? We're not having it. You were the one who ran into him. We'll deal with this, but, but you ran into him. I'm watching all this go on, you know. I'm standing off to the side in this little median area, and I'm in a kind of a little patch of dirt, have my crutches, and I'm watching this, like, comedy act going on in front of me. And I'm thinking, you know what? Let's get out of here. Let's just do what we need to do and get out of here. And all of a sudden... I'm going, what is happening? My, my leg starts itching and tickling, the one with the cast on it. I look over and I look down and I'm standing in a nest of red ants. And they're going up my leg, man. They're, 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 they want to go home, man. And they're, just, and they're in there. And I'm telling you what, I just lost it. I mean, I don't, if you, I'm sorry, it's gross. But it was so awful and so uh, memorable. I said, just get me in here. I, you know, what do you do? Take ant spray and try to, you know, spray. I didn't know what to do, you know. So you wait a couple of days until they all die, you know. And it was awful. It was a horrible road trip. That's what I remember. I remember that road trip. It's seared. It, is a, it has marred me, scarred me for life. I'm scarred for life. Now, can I say this? This is nothing compared to the Apostle Paul. This is nothing compared to what he experienced. And what he experienced at the end of his third missionary journey, it's, it's incredible. You've got to take some time and read the very end of it. Let me give you a, a brief background of the Apostle Paul and his team. It was 25 years has gone by since the Apostle Paul came to be a Christian. Remember on the road to Damascus where he encountered Jesus Christ personally. His life has radically changed. Paul hears from the Lord in chapter 20 of the book of Acts and he tells him to go to Jerusalem. This is something that's happening here. So you see the beginning and the end. 25 years has passed. Paul was from Tarsus. He spent most of his life in Jerusalem being trained to be the best and the brightest. Paul was a prodigy and people saw it. People knew it. Gamma was his teacher. You don't get any better than that. You were in the high schools. You're in the high education. You are, I mean, you are at the top of your class. He excels. He's a zealot among zealots. He's a Pharisee among Pharisees. And he hears about this Jesus movement. They called it the way. And he hears about it and he says, well, this isn't right. This goes against everything I know, everything I believe, everything I've been taught. He's on his way up the ladder of this religious institute. He's on his way up. And what he does is he says, well, you know what? We're just going to kill these people. What we're going to do is we're going to go and exterminate Christians. And what he does is he goes out and he tries that, and then again, he runs into Jesus, and it changes everything, as it always does. When you run into Jesus, changes everything in your life. So right now in the story, what he's doing is he heads back to Jerusalem. That's where he started. Now he's going back. Was that a good overview? I did that really fast. You all following me? All right, so now he's headed back to Jerusalem. He's headed back, really, to home. He's headed back home even though he's warned on a few different occasions not to go there. He's warned by the elders of Ephesus, and you'll see that. And then he's warned by some folks that, that are over on the coast before he gets into, uh, into Jerusalem. He's warned, don't go there. They're going to kill you. Don't go there. There, you're going to take your life. Which makes that scripture you just read, it makes sense, doesn't it? He goes, you know what? I'm going. Uh, you know, I've faced everything before. I mean, I, I, what are they going to throw at me? You know, what are they re- what are, really, what are they going to throw at me? And so he heads toward Jerusalem. Paul gets to Jerusalem, and what he does is amazing 
because he does what he always does. He preaches about Jesus Christ and he tells the crowd how Jesus changed his life. I mean, when you look at every presentation that he gives, every apologetic message that he gives, what does he do? The guy steps up and he tells the story. That's what he does. And so if you're thinking, wow, it's so difficult to tell people about Jesus, listen, put all that aside. Tell them your story. Tell them about how Jesus changed your life. Tell them what he's done for you because really, that's a lot of what the Apostle Paul does. He tells the crowd that God loves everyone, including the Gentiles. He does that when he gets to Jerusalem. He just t- and he does this all the time. He's just telling people, well, you know, if you're a Jew and you're hearing this, especially a zealot, and you're hearing that God actually loved Gentiles, this is not good for, 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 for you as a Jew. This, goes, this, this is against what the Jews believe. They believe that really, and they are convinced that God only loved them. God only loves them. Now, I want you to take that, and you would say, oh, man, that's so dumb that God, they would believe that God only loves them. Would you take that into your own church experience? There, there, honestly, there might be a little bit of that in you. I'm, I'm a Christian. I've got, I've got my life insurance, fire insurance. Good to go. God really loves me because, man, I'm a gym. I mean, he got, he got a treasure. Do you see that subtle elitism? Where after a while we think, well, God loves me more than, than he might love someone out there. And I, I just want this to rock your world because God loves people. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, man, God loves people. He loves Gentiles. Well, what happens is the Jews, they start to riot. Paul's taken away by Roman soldiers, but there is a, a group that vowed to kill the Apostle Paul, about 40 of them, and they're saying, you know what, <laughs> we're going to get this guy. Uh, some of you, you know, may not want to go after him as much as we do, but this is what we vow. We vow we're not going to eat or drink until that, ca- that cat's dead. That's what we're going to do. We're just going after him. So Paul's nephew, of all people, Paul, some of you probably didn't even know Paul had a nephew. But Paul's nephew overhears this plot. Paul is received and taken secretly to, or rescued and taken secretly to uh, another city, Caesarea Maritima. That's where he's shipped from Jerusalem off to Caesarea Maritima, which was one of Herod's palatial palaces. It was one of his places that he hung out. So listen, I want to tell you this, and I've done all this to do this. We don't have time to cover every detail here, so what I want to do is highlight four things that you can expect on your way home. Four, four things that you can actually expect and that you see in the life of the Apostle Paul, especially as he returns back home to Jerusalem. Number one, here it is. Number one, and it has everything to do with awkward relationships. It really does. Here it is. That God loves the full circle moment. God loves the full circle moment. How many know uh, someone who you know, has awkward social skills, especially when they're around the opposite sex. You know, people, you might be one of those people, so don't raise your hand, but, but uh, you, you're kind of, it's kind of awkward for you. And I think it happens, especially the group of people that I love dearly is the, you know, middle schoolers. You know, when they're in a room, they just don't know what they're doing. They're kind of socially awkward. It's just awkward. It's awkward. It's awkward. Well, I experienced one of those awkward moments right here when I was out there. Oh, it's been several years ago. I was greeting some people, and my daughter and her friend uh, were out there standing in front with me talking, and they went to walk away, and I saw one of uh, the young men start to walk toward them. And I knew what he was doing. He was looking at these beautiful girls, and he's going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I mean, his, he pitted out. I mean, in 10 seconds, he's like, he's like sweating. I mean, and he's thinking, oh, no, and he's, he doesn't even know, do I look him in the eye? How, what do I do? It's awkward. I'm watching. It's painful. I'm watching this, and I'm going, this is painful. This is painful because I can look right into his eyes. 
And then he just kind of does his thing, you know, like, you know, and he moves on. And so I think, I got to help this kid, man. I got a heart for him. So I put my arm around him and I said, hey, were you a little, little nervous there with those pretty girls? And he said, yeah, kind of. And I said, you know, let me tell you something. It's awkward. I know that. Um, but get used to it. I said, I've been married 38 years to a pretty girl, and I still get nervous. So, you know, it's just part of life, and you just got to get used to it. But, but it's so awkward when you have these kinds of things. What does Paul do? Uh, Paul preaches about Jesus Christ here, but one of the things that he does, and it's amazing that he takes this, this wonderful, wonderful gospel and, and he brings back, comes back to Jerusalem. And you want to talk about awkward moments. Awkward moments would have been there in Jerusalem for him. People that he had run into that he hadn't seen for a while. And how awkward and uncomfortable that would be. But listen, most, the, the, the most awkward moment is not when you see the friend now, but it's when you see them at your, you know, your 20th class reunion. That's when it's really awkward. How many have been to class reunions? You go to 10th, 12th, 20th. You know, 40th, whatever it might be, you know. And this is really weird. They're really weird events because some people haven't changed at all, but others not so much, you know. And so you're running into these folks at this, this class reunion. The only class reunion I've ever been to is our tw- my 20th. And here's, here's what happened. I, my buddies had really never met Annette because, you know, when I, when I uh, got out of high school, I just never looked back. I never went back to my hometown. Too much trouble back there, you know, and I thought, I'm getting out of here. And they never met, they never met my wife. And so 20th class reunion comes around, and, I, and we're thinking, okay, we're down in the area. Let's go. It's down in Southern California. So this is what I do. I'm thinking, these guys, you know what? These guys are, some of these guys are just crazy guys, you know? And, I'm, and some of them had actually been married and divorced about two or three times by the 20th class reunion. And so I'm going with Annette, and uh, I, I think I'm going to pull something off here. So what I do is this, because I know they've never seen her before. I, uh, I, we walk in the door, and there's this whole group. You know, everybody's there, and there's a dance floor and all that kind of stuff. And I drop back like five or six feet, because I want to watch my buddies look at her. You know, that's what I'm thinking, you know. And, I, and then they, so they walk out, and I'm just like this, you know, walking behind them. And these guys, you know what? Within like five minutes, there were more guys asking her to dance, you know. And I had to go up and say, hey, you guys, you know, me, husband, husband, you know, I, it's just awkward. I knew it was awkward for her, but I, I knew she could handle it. You know, I knew, I knew she could handle that. She can handle herself pretty well. And so I'm thinking, wow, this is really, these, these reunions are just so awkward. Now, here's the problem. As awkward as it is to go back full circle and deal with relationships you didn't even like the first time, guess who loves to bring you back to those situations? God. God loves to bring you back. He loves the full circle moments. You see, God loves the full circle and and your journey with Jesus. Ask Jesus where it is that you need to go back full circle and be an influence for him. Ask him that. Ask him where that is. Everyone tries to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem because it's going to be bad. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be horrible. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 21, it says, And when he heard this, the apostle Paul, uh, uh, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to walk into this awkward moment. 
He's going to go into this place and, 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 and he is going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ here at this place. His friends were begging him not to go to the reunion. They were saying, Paul, you don't need to go to your 25th class reunion, you know. You don't need to go there. It's not going to be good for you. This is not a good thing. The Apostle Paul understood something that we have lost. And this is what he's understood and understands in Scripture, there's this pattern of 180-degree repentance. We call it 180. It's where Jesus comes in. He changes your life. You're transformed. And what you do, and the word repentance really means turn and go the other way. It means to go the other direction than sin. Where your sin was leading you this way, it's to turn and go the other way. It's a 180. It's repentance. That's how the Bible describes repentance. But the Bible also has these places that are beautiful places that aren't just 180, but they're 360 grace moments. And we don't, we don't talk a lot about that. We probably should a little more. Repentance is turning and going 180 away from sin. And that's good. That's right. But God also speaks to us about the 360 grace moments where you repent and then you return full circle. Why? Why does God ask us to go full circle? The reason he asks you and me to go full circle when he does is because these are people that God loves. These are people that God cares about. He needs someone to reach these people. That's why we're asked to do 360 grace moments. Someone who used to be going in the wrong direction, your life gets changed, so God will actually call you not to just repent and go 180, but he'll ask you to go 360. He'll ask you to do a full circle moment. You know that 20th class reunion I talked to you about? Well, it was toward the end of that class reunion that I saw an old friend from grade school, and I went and sat next to him, and I just said, what's your story? And he goes, you know, I was hoping I'd get to see you. I haven't seen the guy in 20-some years. I go, Really? what's going on? And he goes, um, I'm going through a horrible divorce right now. And I just need, I need someone to talk to. I just need someone to listen. So I sat back in this, just this corner of this room and he just unpacked, started crying. And you know what happened? He came to faith in Jesus Christ sitting right there at the 20th class reunion. That's a, that's a, that's a, 30, that's a 360 grace moment. God has 360 grace moments for us. Paul was going back to Jerusalem full circle to bring the message of grace to his classmates, to his friends, to his teachers, to everyone who knew him before. He's going back because some of them only knew him as a murderer. Some of them only knew him as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's returning back as a Christ follower. These were people who God loves and they couldn't exist without Jesus and he knew that. God called Paul to touch the Gentiles, but here he asked Paul to go full circle. So the question I want to ask you today is, where are you in that journey? Do you have the courage to go from 180 repentance to 360 grace? It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to do both, but that 360 grace thing will challenge you. Who's God brought along your way? Who's God asking you to go to? Who are you going to meet up with this summer? It might be a class reunion or a family reunion or something that you know specifically you need to go and have a 360 grace moment with them. Who, who is that? Because it has to be fleshed out there. You have to think about it. God is calling you to go full circle. I want to introduce you to one of my dearest friends, uh, Elroy Knutson. I think we got a picture of him. Elroy and Bev have been part of this congregation for, well, for, for a long, long time. And have you ever wondered what has contributed to the DNA of this church and the grace-filled 
nature. There's so many of you here that do. Well, Bev and Elroy just contribute to, this has always been a grace-filled church. And I look back and I say, it's because of some of the church fathers and mothers. And, and, and Gray, uh, Elroy and Bev took our family and Annette and I uh, under their wing when we were just rookies, were wet behind the ears, didn't, I still don't know much, but I didn't know, I, I didn't know anything back then. And this, this guy is an amazing guy. And I want you to see him if you haven't seen him. He can't be here because the family's just walking through Alzheimer's right now with him. And, uh, and he, he is, he's a beautiful man, beautiful woman, Bev is. And uh, I remember when I first came here, uh, Elroy just pulled me aside and, and he gave me a story. Just told me a story, just kind of like the Apostle Paul. He says, this is what I did. He goes, I, I lived for the devil here in Canby in this area for 40 years, man. He said, I just did everything wrong. I was, I, it was awful. I just messed up everything, everything. He said, but then he gets a big smile. He says, but then Jesus saved me. He says, well, yeah, Jesus saved me, saved me. He saved me. He goes, you know, he told me this. He goes, I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave because my reputation was just stunk. I wanted to leave because I had messed up everything. And he said, you know what God said to me? And I said, what did he say, Elroy? Elroy said, you know what? God said this to me. He says, Elroy, you're staying right here. You lived for the devil for 40 years in this town. Now you're going to live for me the rest of your life right here. 360 grace. He stayed and he faced it. That's a deep grace. That's a sweet grace. That's a saving grace. Some of my recovery friends know it's the ninth step. Go and make amends. Full circle. What you messed up, come back around too. So, how... You handle the 360 moment will define your future. How you handle the 360 moment will define your future. Number two. Second point is this. Second point is simply this. There will be unfair treatment along the way. <laughs> you want to maybe, maybe say this after you hear that? Duh. But some of us really still don't believe it. I mean, we might know it in our, our heads, but to really, people don't like me? You mean they're going to really treat me unfair? Uh-huh. They are. I hate to shatter, uh, you know, I, I hate to pop your balloon, but that's really what happens. That, and you know what? This is where I figured this out. I mean, I think I did. I had an idea. When I, man, teenage boys. Teenage, I raised two teenage boys. And, you know, we would, uh, we would be, Annette would be gone because we didn't order pizza when she was in the house. We ordered pizza when she was out of the house. And uh, so the boys and I get together. We dial up pizza. Pizza comes, man. And we're ordering a lot of pizza for, for three of us. Two teenage boys. Uh, can I say something to any teenage boy out here? Quit eating so much and so fast. You know, because I, I here, so the, the doorbell rings, and I, I give my son a 20, and I say, go, you know, pay, take care of the pizza. And so he does. He goes and takes care of the pizza. And, uh, and, and he comes back, and I said, where's my change? You know, it's like the pizza was 12 bucks. I, I'm, I'm waiting for eight bucks. He goes, oh, man, I just told the dude to keep the change, man. I said, that's my change. That's my change, man. You're giving my money away, and I just bought you pizza. And so he, you know, I had to go take care of something. I come back, and not only, insult on injury, not only did he give my $8 away for a tip, I come back, and both those boys had scarfed down all the pizza. It was just melted cheese. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? This is so unfair. You give away my money, and you eat all my food, and I want to just take you out right now. This is unfair treatment. It just doesn't feel right. And have you been there before? Something happens in life, you just, it's unfair. Truth of the matter is, if you have that fair or unfair orientation, you will always be disappointed. Always. There's some disappointed people in this room right now. 
because you are oriented toward fair and unfair. When you're following Jesus, you're always going to get unfair treatment. The Apostle Paul is absolutely obedient and he presses on toward Jerusalem only to be treated unfairly and falsely accused. Look at what verses uh, 20, uh, chapter 21, verses 27 through 29. And when the seven days there was a purification that Paul went through, the, the Jews of the providence of Asia saw Paul at the temple... They stirred up the whole crowd and they seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches. Now, don't you just love this when there's false accusations? There's always exaggerations. Everyone, everywhere, you know, it's always that way, against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. He actually didn't bring any Greeks into that place. They were left outside. They just saw him hanging around in the town together. That's all that, that's all that's happened. And they just assumed that he brought Greeks into this holy place where only Jews could, could, could worship. That's not what happened. All of this is false accusation. All of this is to stir up mistreatment toward the apostle Paul. How many here have been mistreated? How many here have been lied about? It's, it's bad. It doesn't feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, I think... Everyone probably would lift their hand on that one. We really have. The Apostle Paul dealt with this exact same issue except one thing. Uh, he was accused, and what he was accused of was a threat to his life. Maybe some of us that's happened, not, not, probably not very many here. But the accusations coming against him, if proven, he loses his life. I mean, it's a threat against his life. That's what's happening. How did he respond to it? Well, he responded to it in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. Uh, he, he says this again. Now, here it is. It repeats itself. Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. And it's really not. Listen to my story. Listen to my narrative. What's he going to do? He's going to tell his story again. And he steps up and he tells this story. He tells a story. He gives his testimony about what Jesus did for him. And he didn't get defensive. That word defense is really an apologetic. It's to do it with a calm heart, a, a loving heart. It, he, he, he does this in a way that he's not defensive. He, you, don't, you can read all of it. You can read all of it. He goes on for a while. But you can read this. He doesn't get defensive. That's hard to do, isn't it? Someone falsely accuses you and brings... Here's what they insert in the conversation. You always, every time. Doesn't that just fire you up? Well, that's what they were doing with Paul. And it fires you up. Paul does not defend himself. He just tells. What does he do? He tells his, his story. Besides, what we need to know is the Holy Spirit is our defense. That's actually what the word counselor means, that he will send a counselor to you. You know what that is? That actually has a little more legal terminology to it. It means he will send an attorney to you. You say, great, man, I just paid a whole bunch of money to have an attorney. But I don't. the Holy Spirit is my attorney, yeah. He's my defense counselor. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. And Paul totally depended on the Holy Spirit to defend him. That's amazing. Third point is this. Obey today to find his will for tomorrow. That's a big one. Obey today to find his will for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, the first time that I, I ever went skiing. Annette skied. She grew up skiing. She grew up in Spokane. And uh, we were there for Christmas. You know, I'm trying to be a big guy, tough guy, athletic guy, you know. And uh, she said, hey, yeah, I want to go skiing. And I said, sure, go skiing. I've never been skiing in my life. 
I don't know anything about skin. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, you should probably take a few lessons. Probably should read a book. You should probably do something. But that's not me. So I'm thinking, nah, I don't need to take a lesson. I don't need to read a book. I don't need to know that. I can just get, I'm just going. But what I didn't realize is just even getting on the chairlift was a pain. It was, that, was, that took some athletic feet just to get on that thing and time everything, you know. And, and she's breezing, man. She's just sitting on it like that. She, she lived on the mountain, you know. And I'm thinking, man, she is going to embarrass me, you know. And so we're going up. And I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, I should have taken lessons. I, I, should, I probably shouldn't have been so arrogant. I probably shouldn't have been so, you know, machismo. But I'm watching. And, 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 and it's going click, click. And it's still going up. And I'm going, well, when, when do we stop? I mean, because, you know, that's a long way down. And then I'm looking, and there's moguls everywhere. And I'm thinking, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And I'm watching these guys. I'm actually learning from some guys skiing down. And they're skiing down, and I'm thinking, okay, put your skills. Try to do something here. So, man, I get off the ski lift, and I'm thinking, don't think about it. Don't wait. Just point the skis downhill. Because if you think and wait about it, you won't do it. So I pointed the skis downhill, and I'm flying. And that first 100 yards was incredible. You know, and, and I'm drawn off that. Have you ever guys see Why World of Sports? That dude is like, Shh, you know, he's going like this and he jumps that high. I'm thinking of him, you know. And so I'm just doing like this. I saw him on a, on a movie. I, I saw him on a commercial. He was going like this. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, wait a minute, you get more speed here. This is where you get, you're pop picking up speed, you know. And I'll tell you, the lodge looked really little. And the people looked like little ants going down the hill. And all of a sudden they're, get, they're getting bigger. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to turn. I don't know anything. And I'm just picking up speed. I'm whoo 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 whoo. And that doesn't even know where I am. She's caught off the ski lift, going like, "Where did he go? What did he do? I mean, what's he doing?" And I'm watching now. I can see these people, and I'm looking at them. And now they're getting afraid. I mean, their eyes are going like this because this guy's headed right at a bunch of skiers just drinking hot chocolate. I mean, that's all. And I'm flying down, and I'm thinking, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And I draw on the only thing I can draw on is a little baseball stuff. Slide, you stupid idiot, slide, you know? So I just, like, slid into the second base, shoot, you know? And you know what happened? I popped up like I knew what I was doing. I just kind of went like this, and everyone's going. <laughs> but I could have saved myself a whole lot of trauma and them a whole lot of trauma if I would have just taken some lessons and really listened, but I didn't. You know, we end up at the top of cold and dangerous hills all the time. You do. And this is what you say. God, why did you put me up here? God, why did you put me up on this hill? And God says to you, I didn't put you up there. (laughs) I don't have anything to do with putting you up there. You weren't listening. You didn't didn't read the lessons. You you, you didn't take lessons. You weren't obedient. That's how you got to that cold, dark hill. Can I say this for, for some of you that think God's just out there messing with you? He's not. He's not up in a cloud going, you know, I mean, just standing up there, try to find my will, try to find my will. (laughs) Some of you have that idea that that's exactly what God's doing. He's not doing that to you. God's not out there doing that to you. He, listen, he he won't tell you everything. I know that. You know why he won't tell you everything? Because you would just freak out. You would go ballistic if he told you everything. So he knows what to tell you, and he knows when to tell you. Here it is. Do the next right thing. That's what obedience is. Do today. Obey tomorrow. So, so what happens is you find his will. Or obey today so you find his will for tomorrow. Do the next right thing. That's what he's asking us to do. Acts 23, 11 says this. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul, and he said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. That's his final destination, is Rome. That's what God's telling him. 
So why does Paul get so, how come he gets so many visits from the Lord? You know, I would love God just to show up and tell me what. How come Paul gets so many visits from the Lord? Can I tell you? Tell, tell you why? Uh, because he spent 25 years jailed, stoned, beaten, run out of town, planting churches, spreading the gospel to all uh, the, the, the nations. And he's saying, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter if I die. I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to do it. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was doing the same things, Jesus might appear before me too. Because you know why? There's a price for that sort of intimacy. There's a price. The Lord tells Paul to take courage. Now look at that. See that? Look at the exclamation mark there. I think it's right there. It says, uh, take courage. You see that exclamation mark? That is not in the original language. There's, there's no punctuation like that in the original language. It's the only way that we can communicate it. And it's not God, Jesus, saying to Paul, take courage. It's not him saying even, hey, take courage. That usually indicates that in the original language, it's repeated five times. Take courage! Take courage! Take courage! It's just God, Jesus saying to him, take courage! Paul, take courage! This is about standing up with boldness and being obedient to Jesus, first in the small things, and then you grow from there. Now listen, when you obey, that doesn't mean things get easier. I don't want you to be under that illusion. In fact, they might get harder. Because sometimes in the society we live in, when we obey, we think we, get, we should get a, a, a certificate of participation. You know, because they go around a lot today. No! God's not going to do that. that. You know what he's saying? He might even make it harder. This is about you growing. This is about him challenging you. What is Jesus asking you to do? What is he asking you to do right now? Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. And be bold. And can I say this? God challenges us beyond our comfort zone. You know, you know why he does that? He does that not because he knows we're up to the challenge, but because he knows he is always up to the challenge. That's why he says keep going. That's why he says keep moving. And then the last thought is this. God always delivers us, but often at the last minute. Don't you just hate that? Many have been in the last moment delivery times by God and God is extremely loving. God is extremely powerful. What God is not, can I tell you what he's not? Uh, He's not safe, according to your definition. Or is he predictable? He is not on our timeline. He is on his timeline. And that's what it says in Acts chapter uh, 23, verses 16 through 24. What happens here is Paul uh, gets taken back to the barracks there in Jerusalem They find out that these 40 guys are going to kill him. His nephew tells the Roman centurion, and the Roman centurion says, hey, bring like 400 guys. That's really what it has. Bring like 400 guys. We need to get him out of here. That's pretty hefty stuff. And what they do is they take him and steal him away in the night. They take him to Caesarea Maritima on the coast. And he goes from Caesarea Maritima, and after that, he goes back into Jerusalem. He makes his appeal to uh, Felix, uh, or Festus, and then, is that right, Festus? Jeremy, help me. He makes his appeal to, to, to one of those guys. And uh, then he does it in Jerusalem. And then they say, you've got to go to Rome, which is where he ends up uh, in Rome. And that's where he writes the prison epistles. And we are all blessed by that. But here, it was a last minute. One of those last. Why does Paul get so many visits from the Lord? We said that. He, he gets so many visits because of this. Because of this intimacy that he has. 
This is a, 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 amazing what the Lord does. What's interesting about this delivery, and I'm going to finish with this, is that all the other times Paul was delivered, do you remember? They were by earthquakes, you know, I mean, you know, singing, just minding your own business at midnight, singing with your buddy, and singing praise and glory to God, and everything gets, wah! Or, or he, he gets delivered by angels. But in this case, this had to kind of maybe baffle him a little bit. It's his nephew, you know, it's, it's the only time that really happens. It's his nephew. Not what Paul expected, but God delivered him. Listen, God's going to work in your life. He will deliver you, but it won't be what you expect. Won't be what you expect. So here's what happens, and here's what we know. Is there are things that we need to know along the road, and that you would begin to practice those things. What is God asking you to do now? What is he asking you to do right now? But if you've taken notes, written them down, just, just take a star or highlight them. That's what I do and say, this is what God's asked me to do because this is the book of action. And in conclusion, I want to go back. One of my favorite passages in all the book of Acts, and I've just gone over it, seen it new and new and new again in my heart, is Acts chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, where it's about the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the crowd was be- bewildered. It said they were utterly amazed. What they were amazed about is that people from... Their own native language was hearing their tongue. And I'm I'm so passionate about this right now. We're at a place in our society, in our culture, in our day, that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that you can speak into the other cultures. Now, some of those other cultures might speak English, but they're as foreign to you as, you know, as if they were speaking Greek. But God wants to get to them. And when I read this passage in in Acts chapter 2, you know the thing that keeps reoccurring is God's tenacity to get to people that he loves. And what he does to do that is he breaks down racial barriers. He breaks down cultural barriers. He breaks down economical barriers. He breaks down language barriers. God wants people saved. He breaks these barriers down through the power of the Holy Spirit. And folks, I've got a long way to go to learn about this. You've got a long way maybe to go to learn about this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to invite you to that Do Justly conference because you hear another thing about what it means to have cultures broken down, what it means to speak a language that you might just be so unfamiliar with. You need to, we need to learn. We need to ask the Holy Spirit. Teach us the language of the culture we live in. Amen? Amen? Because that's what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to touch people. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up, and we are going to finish right now. Father, we just want to thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And while we went through a pretty fast-paced study here, but uh, we know that your, your Holy Spirit can keep us up. Your Holy Spirit can point out things that we need to have pointed out in our lives. And I just pray, because I know that's happened for me, I just really pray that's happened for us as we conclude this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna... Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.